Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. And I'm Jay. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, Star Wars Andor, Season 1, the fourth live-action series in the Star Wars franchise, as well as a prequel to the spin-off film Rogue One. The series follows thief-turned-rebel spy Cassian Andor during the five years that lead to the events of the film. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. Yeah, and this has been put together by Tony Gilroy, who was the guy who wrote the script for Rogue One. Uh, Phenomenal, phenomenal writer. Um, Very involved. I think he directed a good portion of the episodes as well um, from memory. Uh, a big departure on <laughs> both a big departure and a return to form for Star Wars where they didn't use uh, the volume, the tech that they've been using for all the other Disney um, Marvel shows so far, um, which I think their actual term for that is actually called stagecraft, their um, copyrighted term, which is the big uh, LED screens that produce uh, the backgrounds and special effects in camera that move with the focus of the camera there's none of that here these are a lot of extras in costumes in real world locations or big assets filmed in the very traditional way flown them here flown them there flown them uh uh, all into the studio all the in the most most traditional way possible um and you can tell right from the get-go in the production the production looks expensive it, um, it does, but what you were just saying there, like not using stagecraft, I mean, it looks great in Mandalorian, Obi-Wan, but this is a very different show. Like This is the grittiest we've ever seen Star Wars. When they weren't filming on location, it was shot at Pinewood, which is where the very first Star Wars film was shot. So it's got its roots in Pinewood, but yeah, it looks like a very different thing, doesn't it? It does, and um, if anything, uh, they've started to learn, like any new tech, where stagecraft excels and where it falls down. Where it excels is in a, a small building uh, or an enclosed space or when you need a specific light from a time of day and you don't want to have to lose your golden hour, which you only get of like 15 minutes, 20 minutes a day in that lighting, you can have that for hours and hours and hours and have it perfect for you every single time. Um, uh, and you can use it, again, put in the special effects so the the actors can respond in real time with proper eye lines and stuff to what they're supposed to be looking at in an enclosed space or something that's supposed to go off into the background where traditionally they may have used a matte painting or something of that nature. Stagecraft is phenomenal at that. It is lousy for large spaces where you need many, many people walking through because uh, it you're then limited to that. And it's we're starting to see where that line is of like, yes, 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 no. And or I think really shows, I've even heard the special effects guys talking uh, straight off the bat, you will see something that they just kind of forget when you're shooting on on a soundstage, which is uh, the main planet on this for the seasons, Ferrix, it's where Andor starts, um, and it's the place he has to flee from. The wind, the wind moves sand and dust across the set. Um, they can. It's something that they tend to forget to simulate because they ha- they reset over and over and over and over again. They will have fans, but they won't bring in contaminants like dust and sand because it gets on into camera lenses. It gets onto costumes that have to be brushed down. Uh, it, it does all sorts of stuff that they don't like from a production point of view. But it's one tiny little element that happens in real life that when you see it, you're like, that's in a real location. Um, and that's another thing that you don't get, but that you did you absolutely get on this show. Um uh and some of those real world locations, the ISB building, 
uh, that where um, Cyril runs into the ISB agent Deidre and like stops her. That is in London. That's Millennium Bridge that they've just redressed with special effects and lighting to be on Coruscant. The his apartment on Coruscant is a German uh, apartment building that they just use mirroring to make it look like it's ridiculously tall, but it's ah. actually just like a normal apartment building that's like like six stories, five or six stories or something. And a lot of these built these areas that we seen, like, wow, that looks alien. No, that's just a place. <laughs> that's cool. was all a set. That was all one large outdoor set. Yeah. They built that, um, which is why it looks so gritty and why it's so incredibly detailed. Um, but, yeah, I, everything they put into this show is incredible. I mean, it looks amazing. It absolutely looks it, amazing. But I, I made a mistake, and you recognized the mistake I'd made. And the mistake was... I'd stop watching it. Not because I wasn't liking it. I thought it was fine. Rogue One is such a good Star Wars film. And it's back when they were trying something new. They were doing a Star Wars story. They'd done Han Solo. They'd done Rogue One. One was better than the other. And we've got Cassian Andor in that film. And when they announced that they were making a series all about him, I'm like, oh, Okay, yep, yeah, I'll I'll check him out. I'll check out the show even. I liked him in Rogue One. I'll watch this. They bring in the actor back, Diego Luna. He was good in Rogue One. And yes, let's give this show a go. And it's him as a boy. We're getting flashbacks of him as a boy. And I'm like, I'm trying to get my head around wanting to see a Andor TV series with the actor reprising the role, but we keep getting these flashbacks. And I only watched episodes one and two, and I kept trying to come back to episode three. Now, Disney Plus released the first three episodes at the same time. It's almost like as soon as episode four happens, something clicks. And it happened for me as well. And I'm assuming that's why Disney released it the way that they did. It's almost like a three-part pilot with those first episodes. And then four, you kind of get a sense of what the show is going to be. But it took me so long to to come back and finish, like watch episode three, then get to four. Because everybody will say it's almost like people are being employed by Disney. Because no matter who you talk to, no, 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 you need to watch more episodes. Watch more episodes and you'll like it. Just watch more and you'll like it. And it's like... Are you on the take? Are Disney paying you to say this? But they're absolutely right. When you watch more episodes, it does click. But those first couple are like, oh, I don't care about him as a boy. I mean, obviously, it all pays off and it all fits together. But I just got stuck on those first couple. And we've done quite a few of these reviews. And you've been like, have you watched Andor yet? I'm like, I'm still at the same two episodes. I finally watched it. I've watched the whole season, when Andy Serkis comes into it, oh, in oh prison, my God. you're like, this, this is what I want. This is amazing. And just that repetitive task, turn it, turn it, lift. And you're like, and you just, I was so invested in what was happening. The prisoners, is the conspiracy, is there something happening outside? What's happening on the other levels? I completely... Yeah miss the fact or even begin to question what are these parts that they're making what could it even before and what a phenomenal payoff that was so everything with andy circus was absolutely phenomenal and he's great in mocap Gollum, he is caesar he is is so good but when you're seeing him in this you're like come on let him show. He's, uh, he's on a whole other level. Yeah, he absolutely. Um, is. I also thought the same when he was playing Ulysses Claw in Black Panther. Yes. He's having so much fun. Yeah, like chewing up really, the scenery like, in that yeah. book. Yeah, it but fits the character him, and the performance. Like this is him, like Gary Oldman going for an Oscar, like uh, level, like all that subtle movement and the stuff behind the eyes. Like he's such an incredible character actor that you're like, this is this is the role that he should have had for Star Wars. 
Um, and he came up with the whole backstory for his character. His character is uh, is called. Da, 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 da. Is it Kino? Kino Loy. Ah, there you Kino go. Kino Loy, and he is the foreman of the of his area of the prison, which is level four. Okay. Level, <laughs> uh, there's they break down how much there is. Uh, and it's very important because everything that nothing's thrown away, everything has payoff. Everything that they really move in your head, there's a reason for it. It might take a while. They're setting something up down the line, but that it does come. Uh, there's a night shift, a day shift, and a night shift. Two and uh, there are multiple levels. I think there's six levels. Two shifts per level. Day night shift. Day shift. Night shift. Uh, and he's worked as well. He's oh, he's on his way. He's so close to getting out. He's so close to getting his sentence like paid off. Um, but there's so much going on. Like, oh my god, uh, his actual backstory <laughs> he came up with yeah. Yeah. is he was in a very similar position before he was in prison. He was uh, like a supervisor or foreman working in a factory, and was head of a union. He was like a union man and pushing for more rights which were being denied his workers and started and did the strike strike went messy and that's how he ended up in prison because the imperials were stamping down and he was defending the rights and lives of his workers and he got pinched for it and that's the and now having spoken up for person that's that's his thing of like i'm so close to my prison centers keep my head down do my job serve my time and try to get my life back on order that's his entire backstory he came up for his character and it all pays off. It all really like in like you can tell there's a, a life for this character. Like there's a yeah. whole arc. So layered. And through. even even when they band together and they fight for their freedom, he's not free. He cannot swim. And he's stuck there. And Andor doesn't want to leave him. He's pushed off. Yeah, I mean, wow, <laughs> incredible. I didn't know about that. The, the backstory that he'd come up for his character, but Andy Circus is bloody great. <laughs> he's really yeah. good. And yeah, not the first time he's appeared in Star Wars. He was the Supreme Leader Snoke in The Last Jedi. I think yeah. who else has played another character in Star Wars? I'm pretty sure Warwick Davis has. He's been in every single style live action Star Wars, as has Mark Hamill. As uh, either a voice or a ah, character okay. in, so, like heavy makeup. There you go. But I'm thinking, obviously, Warwick was first Wicket in Return of the Jedi, and then he has appeared in other Star Wars films as different characters. But Circus, yeah. though, he's got two established characters. Yeah. This one yeah. and Snoke, where they're actually characters. Like They're not yeah. just like giving a line of dialogue. Yeah, it's that been gives them a name to... and they get thrown yeah. onto Wikipedia. Like, no, 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 these are actual <laughs> legit characters that we spend time uh, with. Wikipedia, hello. Yeah. Um, also, another big name to bring in here, Mon Mothma. Uh, again, Genevieve O'Reilly, who's been this character since her deleted scene of playing Mon Mothma back in episode three when the prequels were first being filmed. You know. Uh, also in Rogue One. <laughs> Yeah, like she's been playing this character for like twenty years now, and she finally got something to do with the character. But this and is when man, you know doing something. She is, but this is when you know it's been made by fans for the fans. I mean, yeah. they did not need to go back to the actress that had her scenes cut in episode three. Yeah, when they brought her back for Rogue One, but I love that they they've done that, and she does look. A lot like the original actress from the original trilogy. Yeah. Um, and her sets are so incredible. Uh, the set design on this show, uh, her apartment on Coruscant, a very her like Eastern, like uh Japanese, Chinese, um, like aesthetic, like in a really beautiful white um layered architectural style even the dress of the because her race is chandrila she's a senator of chandrila of kind of like a, a a like a hippie like they they make they 
mate when they're teenagers for life. Um, she doesn't like it. She obviously hates her husband. That is a whole thing that comes up. But she's playing the annoying thought senator who's a do-goody that can't make any real progress. That's her character she's playing when really she's on a knife's edge of being found out for being an actual like rebel leader. It's incredible. And she's having to deal with Stellan Skarsgård playing Lucien Rael, who's like the extremist military version of what she's trying to keep her hands clean with. But of course, they're not going to make any progress doing anything peacefully. They've got to do something in this sense. And he, and my God, Stellan Skarsgård, he is like a force of nature. I mean, where do you start? I mean, his performance is fantastic but i don't know what i like more his performance or the change of hairstyle when he's being all respectable he's got his hair neat and tidy but when he's being a little bit rebellious he's got the messy hair i thought it was great like he really i mean clearly it's the same actor but i like the fact that he went to a little bit of effort just as a distinction between the two two roles that he's playing in the show. Like whenever he's up to no good, he's got messy hair. And then you'll see him yeah. again, he's got neat hair. I yeah. like that. And even when you first see him adorn his like fake persona, which is like just like a, a curiosities dealer. Um, and you see him put on putting like the false teeth and put on the wig and like yeah. on, and the, the garb. And then he starts to stand differently and like practice his fake smile and like the and like you see him, him an actor playing a character, getting into character. It's amazing, and it and it's so well done. And straight it, it away, really I'm like, I'm like, who is this guy? We had we had nothing on the character yet, uh, yeah. and that straight away <laughs> drew me in. Um, I mean, you you that's 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 a good observation. That yeah, that that's what was happening in that moment as an actor playing a character that's playing a different character. Yeah. I was getting face off uh, vibes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so incredible. Uh and that goes on and on. Like the, it's it's a large cast list. Um, because the the series happens in three episode story arcs. So episode one's the introduction of uh where Andor is and the little thing he that that his call to adventure, so to speak, of him, he's gotta get out of Dodge, he's gotta leave his life behind. Uh the second arc is a heist, which who doesn't love a good heist? Uh, and this one, man, is it stressful. They do a really good job of showing like, mm, there's a very good chance this isn't going to work. For him, it will, because we know he, after all of this, he goes to Rogue One. But for everyone else, you're like, I don't know, any one of you guys can die. Um, the third arc is the prison. And then we have the fourth arc where all of the little bits and pieces that were put into play throughout all of these previous episodes come to a head and it happens in a natural way yep. in a way that feels correct for all of the characters and in a satisfying way like yeah, I'm blown away I'm blown away by the, yeah it's like, really so- well put together in the opening we get Fiona Shaw as Cassian's adoptive mother and then towards the end of the season it's where her character has died and we get that hologram of her and she's giving her a message. You know, I read something online, like apparently what she was going to say is something like fuck the empire or something like that. <laughs> and Disney are like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. We've let you, you do a lot. Speech. Yeah. <laughs> we've uh, let an you... eloquent rousing speech. <laughs> we've let you do a lot in this show, but no, 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 no. I'm yeah, thinking. I'm dropping an F-bomb. Years ago, on the on the podcast, something else that's been reviewed that she was in, Super Mario Brothers, with Bob Hoskins. She's in that. <laughs> she... Holy, because I I I recognise her from uh, what's it called? Killing Eve. Ironically, no, oh, not Killing Eve. Right, but with Phoebe Waller Bridge. Uh, yeah. Peep, uh, Fleabag. I was, I was say peep he was show. a yeah, psychologist. Fleabag, right. Um, 
and everything I've seen her in, she's another one of those like British actresses who just oh she pops she up, up and she and she nails she, it. Yeah, yeah, she knows the assignment and she brings it. Which you can say to everyone in this show, you've got uh, Bix Kayleen played by Adria Iona, um, who was in Morbius. She was a love interest. Uh, whose character <laughs> oh, she had no other right. character than that. Oh, this, I thought she looked familiar. In this, she's got so much to do. She's the actual rebel person in Andor's life before he's pushed down that road by circumstance. Uh, and she is picking up the pieces he left when he has to leave. And then she pays the price. Like, um, and yeah, she, she's run through the ringer. And I found her compelling like she's again so much to do this everyone has a character arc everyone they introduce gets a character arc and it whether you love them or you hate them you root for them uh and yeah her whole thing she's running the junkyard she's the one who and or finds scrap and has a knack for repairing it and understanding when he sees something a bit like what Ray's in supposed to be, but he, he she seems to be doing it through the force. He's doing it because he has a critical eye and understands there's value in something and it can be repaired and it can give back value. Uh, and she sells this stuff. So it's a natural, like, symbiotic relationship. And they've had a prior romantic relationship that's not going anywhere anymore. Um, and it all, you know, it's people moving in circles that overlap and it all beautifully weaves together, like like everything in this show does. Um, the ma- next major character is really Deidre Miro, the ISB agent played by Denise Goff, and she is wound tight, like very tight. Um, she's a competent Imperial and she's yeah. terrifying because of it. Like you're actually going rooting for her to begin with, because she is uh doing her job correctly. She understands something's wrong. Everyone's saying, nah, she's an idiot, nah, there's nothing there. Stop mixing in, you're creating hassle. Um, and you want her to prove her, you want her to prove she's right. And then she starts to prove her right. And there's nothing more terrifying than a confident villain. <laughs> yeah, and she really does play it so well. She's so menacing, no nonsense. She comes up against another officer. I mentioned that this was, a lot of it was shot at Pinewood in the UK. Yeah. So there's yeah. a lot of like background actors that I know from like British sitcoms or soaps or whatever. And they just pop up. And sometimes they don't even have dialogue. But there's one guy in particular that I'm like, holy shit, it's Doc Brown. You may know him better as, oh, his real name is Ben Bailey Smith. But he came yes. up oh, with yeah. the alias. Lemon. Yep, but he came up with the alias of Doc Brown. So whenever he appears, like stand-up or whatever, he's always as Doc Brown. See, I didn't even know he was in this. See, yeah, it's always like quite novel. And it happens with Star Wars where you see a lot of British people pop up. But yeah, but he butted heads with her a few times and she went over his head. And yeah, the, the tension that you feel in there, because it's like you've got the, politics the good guys. In there. Yeah, you've got the good guys and the bad guys. And that's it. That's what Star Wars started off as. Like George Lucas made Star Wars for kids. Obviously, over the years, it's become this... Well, it's become its own thing. And now it's, as you say, politics. It is so layered. It's not just black and white, good guy, bad guy. And there's all these different things going on. But spending time with the Empire and them butting heads and going, you know, stabbing each other in the back. And ah, it's really insane to watch. scramble to get up the ladder further by like taking someone else down. Yeah. Oh, it's... It's just as compared. There's there's not a lot of action in this series. I think we should we, we should mention that this is this is Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and stuff, but set in the Star Wars universe. And so all of the action is a character getting some 
getting progress by political maneuvering or outthinking or out strategizing someone. It's it's the political stuff uh, and the um, the bureaucracy stuff from like a Game of Thrones or Succession or a series of this nature where it's they're not they're they're drama thrillers, not action adventures, which is the the main role of Star Wars. Yeah, I mean we did main... we did know when watching this though that this was going to be one of two seasons, and as you've said, we know where Andor ends up. Rogue One, we've all seen that film. So I, I'm thinking maybe the second season will be more action packed. Maybe it's going to you know escalate to a point just before mm. Rogue One happens. But yeah, it is a different kind of show, isn't it? Like even yeah. like Obi Wan Kenobi started slow, but then you got the action, you got the lightsaber, you got Darth Vader. But this yeah. that doesn't really happen. A little bit no. of action, but it's mainly it's mainly plotting. And just with that, like just appreciating like everything you've said, you know, about the show. And I'm glad that I finally did finish it because I just needed to get over that hump. Sometimes I found myself looking at the screen and not watching the screen. Like, do you know what I mean? Like I was, you know, I wasn't doing anything else. I wasn't looking out the window. I wasn't on my phone. I was watching the show, but I just felt sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm just looking at the screen. And I'm just, yeah. I know things are happening. So it wasn't always engaging, but it was never a bad show. And then there was moments like with Andy Circus where all of a sudden I'm back in the room, I'm shuffling up in my seat and I'm watching yeah. it. But like you say, there's those, there's a couple of storylines that are running through and it does all come together in the end, but it is a different kind of thing, isn't it? Like we were first introduced to Star Wars on the small screen in live action with the Mandalorian. That was yeah. one thing. We've got the Book of Boba Fett, which had its moments mainly when it was, Mandalorian, essentially. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, Obi-Wan yeah. Kenobi. I love the fact that we're getting different speeds. We're getting different types of shows. But this one, yeah, it didn't always engage. It didn't always work for me. But at the same time, could recognize that it's clearly a well-made show, well-put-together show. Um, other characters, he's actually probably the second lead. We haven't mentioned him yet. Uh, Cyril Khan, played by Kyle Sola. He is the security force, the private security forces guy who investigates Andor at the start. Actually does phenomenally well at the investigation, figures out it's Andor, figures out where he is, um, figures out not what happened. His actual, his super, his superior picked out what happened right off the bat and they really should just listen to him in the first place but then we don't have a tv show um <laughs> and then has a fall from grace when the end of high comes in because it goes so terribly wrong and then his his scramble back to get uh back sort of a level of station that he had before and take care of this and erase kind of the bad taste of the failure he's had Every single scene he's in, he looks so uncomfortable. Yeah, he really uh, does. He, yeah. uh, and he's like a like a wound up ball. And you meet his mother and you're like, that's why. Yeah. His mother, this <laughs> tiny little woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is so impossibly overbearing. You're like, man, I feel for this guy. Belittles him at every turn. I mean, early on, he proves himself to be competent and he's trying to tell hey andor we need to go for this guy like we need to we need to do something we need to go after him and yeah it goes wrong for him and he's back home and he's with his mom and what this show does this is a bad guy but he's like do you know what i feel for this guy yeah i really do yeah, feel for this guy 100 um and i've seen an interview with the actor and his hair is uh, quite curly and wavy and kind of floppy, has a beard. Uh, and when they're looking for reference shots uh, to what to do with his hair to dress for his character, 
um he goes oh yeah i can take some stuff and they'd found him in one thing where he was like overly like taught which is very similar to the the look they gave his character and they're like this this guy looks like someone who is got to stick up his ass yes like <laughs> is overly wound tight he's like oh that was due to this if that's if that's how you want it played i know exactly where i was when that 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 screenshot was taken like like i can i can play that and that's that was enough for him to get like the the basis of the character um and he's been um, well, i've said this a lot he's great he's um, and like you said you were gonna say he's phenomenal <laughs> yeah. but you really do start to root for these people that you're these are bad guys these are villains we're not supposed to be rooting for them but you do relate they are because the real people yes 3d characters real that are people. people everyone knows someone or has been in situations of that nature maybe not to this severe degree but we've had disagreements with a family member or a teacher or a boss if you're our age and I, I i remember being micromanaged when i work in an office and it was very much that overbearing mother i'm like yeah you know i actually can't i'm working slower than i i can because i'm so you're literally looking over my shoulder and it, it's making me tense for every time i hit a keystroke <laughs> i've had <laughs> that what? i've had that kind of boss and that, yeah. that for me that was zero in a nutshell yeah um, but what, you, what you're saying about these characters are saying the bad guys who are feeling for them it's because it, it's one of the great things about these disney plus star wars shows how it's long form storytelling like yes they're telling a bigger story across multiple films but a two-hour film, a two-and-a-half-hour film, nowhere near the screen time that you're going to get. I mean, this, I mean, what was it? I think it was like... 12 episodes. 12, 13. I think. It was 12, 12, yeah. 12, 12 episodes, which is the longest Star Wars show yet. So each episode, what, 40, 45 minutes, was spending... Yeah, full-length episodes. Spending so much time with these characters where they can flesh out the good guys, the bad guys. And and that's why they become, or they're able to portray them as real people. That like, yes, they still still take place in a galaxy far, far away, but yeah. there's people with relatable problems. Yeah. Um, Rebels, Empire, they're not just good guys, bad guys. It does make for an interesting watch. Yeah, and one of those Rebels is... Played by Faye Marson, who plays Vel Sartha, the cousin we like later find out of Mon Mothma. She's the leader of the little rebel. I don't want to say cell, more like a, a group of the rebel band who uh, does the heist in the second uh, story arc, episodes four, five, and six. She's quite young for such a position. She doesn't seem to be dealing with the leadership role very well. It's a, a, an uncomfortable fit that she's trying to step up and take on board. Uh, her partner, Cinta, is also is far more committed than she is because the atrocities against her were personal and far more severe. And they she, they have a line she that she repeats to her husband. Um, the cause come first, we steal what's left at the end. Like, which is like, if this relationship doesn't go any further, I, I, if I have to give everything to this rebellion, so be it. Um, she's fully realized because you can see how uncomfortable she's, she is confident. She isn't in that role for no reason, but she hasn't grown and grown accustomed to that role yet. And you see her, get more comfortable as the thing goes on, but starts and start to get more like, no, 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 that's a bad idea. Like that's a terrible tactical decision, all of these things. And you can see the, the, you see the human cost on, on both sides. I think that's a big thing on this show. You see that for the people who were early in the rebellion before they had an actual military might or, and before the conflict was out there, the stress of like keeping it all under control, the, the fact that they all have to play multiple characters. She's doing a, a, a the Luther Roy Luther Royale thing of being like, ah, oh, I'm the flighty, haven't settled down, um, senator's cousin, 
who at her age, she's like twice the age what they usually get married at. And she hasn't done any of that. And they're like, oh, we'll find you a man. It's like, yes, that's what she's looking for. Um, and she's the only actual real confidant that Mon Mothma has. And Mon's got so much, oh, like, again, like so much going on. And then you see the flip side of the rebellion when we get returning Forrest Whitaker uh for Saul Guerrero and this is he's already for the those who've watched the Clone Wars he's lost his sister he, he was never supposed to be in such a position he's been fighting wars at this point already for a good 15 years uh, it hasn't taken the toll on him yet that we do see it takes later on uh and he's not paranoid yet which is very interesting yeah, I mean, you that's where see the yeah. things that make him paranoid in this because Luthen plays him. That's and right. And that's where you start yeah. to get the you're in on this. Like he's planting the seeds that make him the psycho crazy person that we Who see. Who we got in, in Rogue One. Rogue One. It's yeah. so good. We're seeing where the cracks form. Like we're seeing, you know, the the structural details of these characters. Um, and Forrest Whitaker, I mean, he's, we know what kind of caliber of actor he is. I mean, of course. Yeah. I mean, he, he he's a steam sealer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything yeah. that he's in. And yeah, I mean, he's played this character live action in film, TV, and hasn't he also voiced him in animation? Yeah. He I mean, voiced him in, in Rebels. He's voiced him in uh the bad batch season one when he there pops you go. up i mean this is his I, character isn't it doesn't belong to anybody else no 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 because there was voiced by uh, originally a voice actor when he was introduced oh sorry guy <laughs> sorry guy <laughs> whoever that is yeah. um, but i think you've lost him i think whitaker has absolutely yeah. taken but, his character yeah because he was only in one story arc with the clone wars with the original right. voice actor and then it was Rogue One, and ever since then, it's always been Whitaker, regardless of what it is. Video games, he was in uh, the Jedi Fallen Order, oh, and Whitaker cool. did the voice work for that as well. It's say. Whitaker's character now. There you go. Absolutely owns it. You know, I just think, so when you get to the, let, let's talk finale, and when you get to that final showdown, and you've got Luthan, you've got Andor, they both realize what's been going on, and Andor's like, kill me. Got nothing else. Just kill me. Do it. Yeah. And then they're looking at each other. And then Luthen smirks. Like I found what I looked was looking for. End credits. Yeah. <laughs> like if if you didn't know that there was going to be a second season that had already been confirmed that is going to bridge what happens there in Rogue One, it would be such an anticlimax. But because it seems like it's going to be one thing told across two seasons, knowing that you're like, okay, that was that was a good exchange. That was fun. And it stops. And we do get that fun post-credit scene where, well, I say fun, but interesting, I guess, where it's yeah, revealed yeah. that what they were putting together all the while in the prison were parts it's of the, the connective. Yeah, it's the connective uh, joiners for the lens mechanism for the super laser for the Death Star. The Death Star itself is, for the most part, completed, except for the weapon, which we see yeah. gets installed in Rogue One. But you, that, which is why they're articulated because, like a telescope lens, multifaceted lens, it has to be curved and uh, bent to focus in the correct way. And that's what they were building day in, day out. And like, which was amazing, an amazing yeah. reveal. My favorite part because of everyone Andor. wondered, everyone wondered, like, what, what, what it was. Pres- Surely they're not just like building these things and they're, they're giving decent, this, this, disassembled on another floor. And sent back at them as like like bone breaking labor for no reason. These are clearly they it's got these. to be for something. They've got numbers, yeah. So it just so it's happened so that my favorite episodes were in the prison. We Andy yeah. Circus, and they were building yeah. part of the Death Star, which I thought was a, yeah. a great reveal at the end. 
But yeah, but the, the season just kind of ends with them too. As you say, Luthan is like, he's the guy. Andor yeah. is the guy. And both those actors, so good. Like So many great performances across this show. And then just yeah. for end credits, Death Star. Yeah. A great way to end the season. It is. And the big thing, uh, he's introduced in the highest episodes, um, the guy who creates the manifesto. The character's name is Nemec, uh, Karis Nemec, played by Alex Lawther. It's the voiceover at the start of the finale that Andor is listening to. That's his, that's Nemec doing his rebel manifesto. And he kind of, the what he's narrating is like fortuitous of what's going to happen when the riot happens in the finale. The Empire pushes too far. A prominent figure, Andor's mother, has died. And they're just trying to do their traditional celebration for someone of her stature, a former leader of the Daughters of Ferex, um, or Sisters of Ferex. Daughters of Ferex, I'm pretty sure. Um, and they get cremated. Their ashes are collected and made into a brick, which gets used to build more of the town, more of the city. Great, like, character world building, but also it's a very simple thing, and the Empire is making it unnaturally difficult because they were trying to bait a trap to piss Andor off, to get him back there. It all blows out exactly as, like, he says, he goes, there's no need to worry about... uh fighting back that is the system of the oppressive system the empire is so unnatural they're going to push it too far that they're building the kindling on which they'll burn and people rise up and you see it in like a microcosm in this episode so well done and you know at the start of this season and was just trying to get by he's doing a dinner so he's trying to keep his head down just doing his thing he's just looking for his sister he hasn't seen since he was a kid uh because you know, we only see those flashbacks for like those first two episodes. Uh, and he gets dragged into all this stuff. But when you see him in Rogue One, this is someone who's killed. And he's yeah. not happy with and done other dangerous things that he's not proud of, but he's done them and he's done them cold-bloodedly and without question. Those are two different characters. And we see him get three quarters of the way there or maybe even 90% of the way there by the end of this first season. And all culminates in this finale when everything goes to shit empire opens up on the civilians who fight back with his boy brasso played by john joplin sibtane like the greatest friend in any thing like every time andor comes with him he's immediately there supportive covers him hold, looks after his mom everything he's such a great character like he's like the ultimate bro the ultimate best <laughs> friend uh all of it had gets comes to a head, and yeah, that little like I all of it seem natural. All of the characters end up in the central area from Deidre to Cyril, and also the other the sergeant, um, Linus Mosk, who was the like Scottish guy who um blew up the operation, who goes back with Cyril and lets him know Andor's mother's died, they're baiting a trap, and Cyril's like, I'll meet you there. Um all of them come back and it all culminates of a great payoff for the first yeah, season it all, for me. It all fits together very well. You know, before we get to the rating, there's one actor I think we just need to reference. Christopher Fairbank. He played the character uh, Olaf. He's yeah. the guy in the prison that has the old-timer. a stroke, the old-timer. But again, I mentioned Pinewood. That's where they shot a lot of this. So many English actors, and he is another one. But you may recognize him from Batman 1989, the first Michael Keaton film. That's where I recognize him from. He played Nick, the first the guy, guy, the criminal at the start. Batman roughs up. Yeah. yeah. You want the money or not? Just shut up. That's it. That you guy. shouldn't have pointed the gun at the kid, man. You shouldn't have pointed the gun at the kid. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, there you go. Honestly, so many English English actors pop up in this, but yeah, I just uh, I had to 
had to mention that. But do you know what? It was I'm pretty sure he was in the Guardians movie. Was it the first one? He plays an alien and that he's got a heavy prosthetics. I think he's the one who sells the crystal bubble to to Yondu. There you go. Yes. Nailed yeah. it. Yeah. He's just um, one of those guys that if you look hard enough, is in most things you just didn't realize. But from Batman to Andor to there you go. So Andor season one, if you're gonna rate it out of five. Um I'm gonna have to come in at five. Wow. For me. Um this is what I enjoyed out of Rogue One, and it's and it's more of what they hinted at in Rogue One, but we didn't actually get to see. It's in Rogue One and or shoots that guy who gives him the information about the Death Star, cold-blooded, because he's going to get caught. He can't escape. And it's better he die and not be able to give up the information than them try to escape and him get caught and the information falls back into the hands of the Empire and they understand that the information's out. Um, this is the progression. I like, I like espionage stuff. Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, I mentioned, are very much in that vein. Um, things like Blade Runner, where there's a mystery and it's a slow build. Like, I appreciate this. And we and Daredevil as well, the Daredevil Netflix series. There's a lot more action in that, but that slow, methodical pace, that 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 build up to, and the rising tension to a break, and then it starts to slowly build to the next one, and it, 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 cr- it keeps building higher and higher the storyline. The music, which we haven't brought up, uh, Nicholas Pratel, the composer for this, uh, the composer for Succession, which I brought up earlier, the composer for Moonlight, the award-winning Oscar film um, from a few years ago with Mashala Ali um, about the young gay black man and his life in three uh, parts of his life, played by three different actors. This is a top-tier composer. And he's he brings it in here again. Um, the costumes, the set design, every single actor that's in this is bringing their A game, and a, the every the whole is uh, built off the sum of its parts. Uh, and that goes from the writing to directing to everything else. Yeah, uh, for me, this was the best show on TV as while it was running. Bar none, not the best Star Wars show, the best show. Wow, on TV. The, um, the better best. than House of Dragon, better than Lord of the Rings, better than everything else that was running at the time. Um, but yeah, that's that's me. How about yourself? Well, I'm glad that you mentioned the composer, Nicholas Britell. Yes, you're right, he did Moonlight in 2016, and he also composed If Bill Street Could Talk in 2018, which was the other Barry Jenkins film or barry jenkins studio film i think he's done some smaller films before these he's also worked with adam mckay scoring his three most recent films the big short vice and don't look up which was the recent netflix film so yeah i mean he is a great composer and that's his film work you mentioned succession on tv but it's a very different choice isn't it like just like the approach to this show compared to the other star wars shows we've mentioned it very yep. much feels a part of Rogue One, but at the same time, it's its own thing. The grittiness that it has, it's you know not using stagecraft, using real locations, Pinewood Studios, and then having a composer like this makes it look and feel like a different thing. I yeah. didn't love it as much as you did. I, I was at the point where when it was good, it was really good, and... And when I, what I mean by that is like, I guess when I was, there, there was times where I was more interested than others, but could always appreciate how well put together, how well acted this show was. I mean, it is, it's a great show. It really is. But I'm going to come in at a, a four out of five. And, you know, a four is a strong score, but I can't come in as high as you because I did have those moments where, although... I was able to follow it and in the it is interesting, but I don't know. It lost me, it lost my attention 
a little bit, but we are getting a second season. And no doubt when those two seasons are out and then followed up by Rogue One, I bet it is a great viewing experience. But yeah, four out of five. It it is a really good show and it's right what people say. You need to get to episode four, episode five. And for me personally, as soon as Andy Serkis is in the show, it just elevates it to another level. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. That story arc is definitely the strongest of the four story arcs we get to the season, um, with the final one being a payoff to all the stuff previous stuff we've just seen. But the starkness of that, the slowness of that, where you're really feeling that routine that they're in, and the the the, the design of the prison, it's very THX 1198, which is exactly what it was calling out, George Lucas's original first film. Um, the the electrified floor of the prison kind of gave me face off vibes again <laughs> we have brought that up twice yeah. now but yeah it's such a perfectly designed prison to be the most horrific designed prison of all time in terms yeah. of like this will crush spirits at 1000 percent like you're you're feeling that with these characters and you're watching Olaf's the, the greatest thing because everyone is helping him out they're all it's so well in sync and they're helping covering his shortcomings because he's his health is clearly failing he's having harder and harder trouble they're trying to protect you know they're that each table of six guys is like a little family um and everyone's trying to protect everyone else because if they fail the day they get electrocuted yeah that's not that's not a like oh they get a little zap no no they get stood somewhere in front of all the other prisoners and take a massive chunk of electricity severe isn't it you know it's pretty go back to 1977 star wars a new hope space wizards there's a princess there's comedy relief droids like you know what i mean yeah this still feels a part of that like this is the same continuity but this more than anything else we did get it with rogue one i mean it's in the title war there's a war going on so like yeah it did a really good job of painting an awful place to live like they really you're feeling the oppression of an oppressive regime yes yeah very very well done well, that's it for our episode all about Star Wars and or Season 1. If you'd like to contact us to talk about this episode or suggest a topic for an upcoming episode, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. You've been listening to Luke and Jay, the guys from Sounds Like Comics. See you soon.